Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. So in reflecting on the gospel reading this last week, I decided that the Christian life uh, should really come uh, with a warning label. Uh, what do you think? Should think there should be a warning label uh, for those who are following Jesus? Anybody want to say a secret amen to that in your head, not say it too loudly, just in case it's not the right answer? I'm not sure exactly what the warning label would say, but something along, along the lines of warning following Jesus may be hazardous to your health. That, that would work. That's done a lot of stuff. Following Jesus may result in financial hardship. Would that be fair? Following Jesus may be hard on family relations. Warning. Following Jesus may be costly. Following Jesus may result in sacrifice. Following Jesus may be painful. May... I'm thinking the Christian life should come with a warning label. Anybody want to say a secret amen to that? Quiet amen. I know, I know, I think we're not supposed to say that or anything like that. And as a matter of fact, that it, that it does cost to follow Jesus, that it does require sacrifice, that it oftentimes is quite painful. I mean, hazardous to your health? We should ask the martyrs. Financially costly, ask those who give, ask those who serve. Hard on family relations, ask those who have had to choose Jesus over family. Again, I don't know that we're supposed to say that because it'll kind of scare people away. And in the American context, following Jesus is supposed to help us realize our dreams. So it's a supplement to a really full life. So um, we shouldn't really say anything uh, like that because people won't follow Jesus if they think it's going to cost them. And we're certainly not supposed to say anything like what I've just said without the qualifying statement of as costly as it might be, it will be worth it, which is true. I mean, I think we're always supposed to say when we say it's costly to follow Jesus, I think we're also supposed to say but not following is far greater than the cost of following. And that is true. I mean, that is very true. Following Jesus is a way to life. Not following Jesus is a way to death, right? So while that is true, that it's more costly to not follow than to follow, if that qualifying statement downplays the very real cost of following or minimizes the cost of following, then I don't think we're being fair. Because what's also true is that it's costly to follow. And I have that on pretty good authority. Jesus said so himself on many occasions. He wasn't afraid to tell people on the front end that it was going to cost them to follow him. And even as as I say that, some of you might even be thinking about scriptures that speak of the cost of following Jesus. Perhaps some even have in mind the particular scripture of Jesus himself telling potential followers to make sure they count the cost. In Luke's gospel, this happened. Large crowds were following, were traveling with Jesus. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple, said Jesus to large crowds. 
I thought large crowds were the point. And that's what Jesus says to them. But he's not done. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to, are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Well, that's not too inviting. How hospitable is that? I mean, it may be worth it in the end, but still, who extends that kind of invitation to follow Jesus? Don't start if you can't finish. You'll be carrying a cross, and as a matter of fact, I'm just going to ask you to give up just everything. And to the point, Jesus wasn't even all that encouraging when people volunteered to follow him when they indicated their desire to follow him. Also in Luke's gospel, this happened. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Well, Jesus said to another man, follow me. That man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Well. And those were not unreasonable requests. I mean, fulfill family obligation. That's all that's going on. Evidently, they didn't get to set the terms of following. So Jesus was periodically downright discouraging to those who wanted to follow him, and I'm pretty sure that is not how we would have responded to anyone who indicated their desire to follow Jesus to us. I mean, imagine someone saying to you that they wanted to become a Christian and we responded as Jesus did. You know, you won't have anywhere to live. Well, as long as you never talk to your family again, I don't think we would say that. So we know Jesus was pretty upfront about the cost of following him, but um, we're not so much so like that, which is probably not fair to people because what is true, and while we believe it will be worth it all, what's also true, that it's hard to be a follower of Jesus. What did uh, Rich Mullins sing? Well, I am a good Midwestern boy. I give an honest day's work if I can get it. I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't cheat on my girl. I've got values that would make the White House jealous. Well, I do get a little much over-impressed till I think of Peter and Paul and the apostles. I don't stack up too well against them, I guess, but by the standards around here, I ain't doing awful. Lord, it's hard to turn the other cheek. Hard to bless when others curse you. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be a man of peace. Lord, it's hard. Oh, it's hard. You know, it's hard to be like Jesus, wrote Rich Mullins. 
Anybody want to say a vocal amen to that? Anybody else? Yeah, the Christian life should come with a warning label, truth and advertising kind of thing. Following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus requires sacrifice. Following Jesus will be painful. You know it's hard to be like Jesus. Well, so what in the world is prompting this observation this morning, this fifth Sunday in Lent, this Sunday in which we had wonderful scriptures of promise about the restoration of life to dead bones in a desert and about the restoration of life to Lazarus. Well, as I said at the very beginning, it was the gospel. But you would be excused from knowing what it was in the gospel reading that prompted this because we didn't read the whole story. We read part of the story. I mean, these are long gospel stories that we've been reading the last three weeks. The Samaritan woman two weeks ago, 42 verses. The man born blind last week, 41 verses. The raising of Lazarus this week. If we had read the whole thing, we would have read 57 verses. And so we didn't do, as we didn't do two weeks ago, as we didn't do last week, we didn't read the whole story. There's more to the story of raising the Lazarus than what we read. And what we left out is a pretty important part of the story. So this is what we read. We read that Lazarus was sick. That Mary and... Martha sent word to Jesus so that Jesus might come and heal Lazarus. He had healed the man born blind. He could certainly help Lazarus. And what the sisters said to Jesus was this, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. So evidently Jesus loved Lazarus. But we should note not only Lazarus, Mary and Martha too. Now we know that Mary and Martha loved Jesus because we're told in this story that it was Mary who poured perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. But John wants us to know that Jesus loved them. John eleven three, Lord, the one you love is sick. And John eleven five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John wants us to know that Jesus loved them. Well, of course, Jesus did. He just loves everybody. But we dare not miss this. Jesus loved in a very real way, not generally, not, not generally, but particularly, Jesus loved Lazarus and he loved Mary and he loved Martha like we love dear friends. Which means he loved spending time with them, which means he expressed concern for them, which means they expressed concern for him, which means when he needed a safe place, he could go to their house. And evidently John was not afraid to tell them the nature of their relationship. He wanted us to know that Jesus loved Lazarus and he loved Mary and he loved Martha, and they loved him. And I'm thinking that the reason Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus the way they did, Lord, the one you love is sick, is because they thought it might prompt Jesus to come right now. But we know that Jesus didn't go right away, which is kind of confusing to us. There are two verses back-to-back that don't make a whole lot of sense to us, John 11, 5, and 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't make sense. Unless there's a more important reason for Jesus to not go right away. And there was. Jesus gave us the reason. Jesus knew that the sickness would not end in death. Jesus knew he, was, he, he could raise Lazarus from the dead. And he knew that raising Lazarus from the dead would reveal the truth of who he was like nothing else would do up to that point. Jesus knew the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead would point to Jesus' own resurrection and it would also reveal Jesus as the resurrection. It would reveal Jesus as the source of life. 
So when Jesus got word of Lazarus' sickness, he told his disciples, the sickness will not end in death, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it, which was the point. The point of the restoration of Lazarus' life would be the revelation of Jesus as the resurrection and the life. This was not going to be simply about Lazarus' return to grieving sisters. This was going to be about others coming to know who Jesus was, which is the point. Others' lives would be restored with the resurrection of Lazarus, not only Lazarus's which we are told happened. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Folks, what if we interpreted our lives that way? That the circumstances that we find ourselves in are opportunities for us to reveal the truth of Jesus Christ. What if that's the point? An opportunity for others to see Jesus in me. So that's why Jesus waited. Because he knew that by waiting, much more would be accomplished, much more would be revealed than by going right away. That's what we read this morning, but there's more to this story. What we didn't read is that when Jesus did decide to go to Bethany, which was just two miles from Jerusalem, his disciples tried to talk him out of it because religious authorities were after him. It's getting kind of intense now. So this is what we didn't read. Right after Jesus told his disciples that they needed to leave for Bethany, this is what we didn't read, but this is what happened. But Rabbi, the disciples said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Well, what in the world does that mean? In other words, Jesus was saying, we have to go back now. It's time. Now's the time. The sun is shining. It's daylight. We have to go. It's not nighttime. Now is the time to go. And the rest of the story that we didn't read was after Jesus had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Meaning, no reason to put yourself at risk, Jesus. There's no reason to go back. If he's simply sleeping, he'll get better. So the disciples didn't want to go. They didn't want Jesus to go. So Jesus had to be more clear. John 11, 14. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So the reason Jesus didn't go to Lazarus right away was because Jesus loved Lazarus, but not only Lazarus. The reason Jesus didn't go to Lazarus right away was because Jesus loved the sisters as well. But not only the sisters... The reason Jesus didn't go to Lazarus right away was because Jesus loved those disciples. But not only the disciples. The reason Jesus didn't go to Lazarus right away was because Jesus loved the Jews who were mourning the passing of Lazarus. I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, said Jesus. 
Lazarus's death was for the sake of Jesus. And when the disciples realized that Jesus was going to Bethany, ignoring the danger and their wise counsel, this is what Thomas said. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So Jesus and the disciples went to Mary and Martha and Lazarus, fully believing it was going to cost them their lives, and they went anyway. And truly, that should undermine any caricatures or any two-dimensional interpretations of Thomas we might have. He and the rest of those disciples thought that by going to Bethany, they were following their Lord to their death. That is no little thing. And they were willing to do that, follow Jesus even if it cost them their life. The Christian life should come with a warning label. So off they went, following their Savior to do what they believed would be his certain death and theirs. And I want to stop there. I know we make much of the disciples and their inability to understand Jesus. And I know we make much of their failures, which were many. And I know that they abandoned Jesus at his crucifixion. But we should also know that they were also willing to die for Jesus here and in the garden. They are not cartoons. They were real people. They had followed him for three years. They had given up family and friends and vocation. It was no little thing, their devotion to the Christ. And in truth, it was only after Jesus made it clear that he was willingly giving up his life that they, they quit Fighting. Yes, they denied and betrayed and fled Jesus, but let's also grant that the crucifixion was rightly confusing. And up until that point, they were willing to give their life for him. That's not nothing. Let's also go that we may die with him, said the disciples. So that's a part of the story we didn't read. But there's more we didn't read. So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I'm not sure it was the best day of Lazarus's life. It might have been for Mary and Martha to see their brother again, but Lazarus was probably enjoying the company of God a bit. He might have been quite disappointed to have to walk out of that cave. Really, Jesus? You know, I'm gonna have to die again except for the fact that it brought glory to Jesus. So after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, this happened. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him, yes. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Must save the nation. And Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. There you go. Jesus is a threat to their national identity. 
Now, Caiaphas really didn't know what he was saying. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he had prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. The people didn't understand what Caiaphas was saying, the Sanhedrin. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. This is the story of raising Lazarus from the dead. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Sanhedrin got together and said, let's get rid of him. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. So guess what happened within the next two weeks of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? Guess what happened? Jesus was crucified. So the disciples were right after all. They feared, they believed, they knew that if Jesus went to Bethany, it would cost Jesus his life. It could very likely cost Jesus his life. And they were right. And I think we know that Jesus knew it too. But he went anyway. Because he loved Lazarus and he loved Mary and Martha. And he loved his disciples. And he loved the Jews. And it turns out they were ultimately correct about their future. While it didn't cost them their lives as it did Jesus within two weeks, what's true is that it eventually cost every one of them their lives to follow Jesus. Let us also go that we may die with him, said Thomas. And they did. They would give their lives for him. And they followed anyway. So what's the message today? Are we following anyway? Christian life might should come with a warning label, warning, following Jesus may be costly, following Jesus may result in sacrifice, following Jesus may be painful, may? How comfortable is repentance? How easy is reconciliation? Following Jesus may be costly. No, it will. It should if we're doing it right. And so the question this morning in light of the gospel reading is, are we, are we following Jesus even when it costs us? There's no bait and switch with Jesus. He told us it would. But that's not all he did. He went ahead of us and he showed us what it would mean to follow. He followed ahead of us.
are we following anyway? You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnais, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.